a godless society with the powers of God, where those who choose their faith are imprisoned or even killed. In this special report, we delve into the Chinese regime's war on faith, the different forms it takes, and what happens to those who dare to believe. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. It has been said that religious freedom is a fundamental right. In America, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution states that everyone in the U.S. has the right to practice his or her own religion, or no religion at all. But that's not always the case. Countries around the world have waged war on those wanting to practice their faith. One country where that's especially true is China. A lot of it is that governments don't like religion. It's the one entity that can get enough allegiance from people and <clears throat> enough uh, people behind them that they can stand up to a government. And governments don't like that. As for why religion would pose such a threat, Ambassador Brownback explains. Particularly communist governments that are of atheistic, they don't want anybody practicing a faith that would mean there's a higher authority than the government. Brownback was the ambassador at large for international religious freedom under the Trump presidency. He adds, it's not something new. Communist governments have tried to kill faith uh, since they've been in existence. Soviets tried to do it. They were officially atheistic. They were trying to kill the Russian Orthodox Church at first, and then they kind of tried to figure out how to manipulate it. Um, they just, they're never going to be successful. It's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. So how has these regimes gone about trying to eradicate faith? In China, one way is by only approving Bibles that have been edited and approved by the Chinese regime. As soon as the Bible, which is the sacred book of Christians, has to be edited or approved by the Communist Church, there, there's an implied threat there. That's David Curry, president and CEO of Open Doors USA. Open Doors is a non-denominational mission supporting persecuted Christians around the world. As for what that means for the state-run churches. You can still go to the uh, Three Self Church and hear the gospel. Uh, the question is, uh, what, what sort of trade-offs are those pastors being forced to make? They're having their sermons approved. Will those Bibles eventually be edited so that certain things, are there some things they can't talk about? Uh, there are lots of ways in which the Bible is a moral center that pastors all over the world get up on a Sunday morning and call, call out injustice. Well, what happens when that pastor wants to get up and call out an injustice that's happening in China? What will happen then, right? And it's happening now, they get arrested. It's not just the Bible. Jeff King, president of International Christian Concern, notes for China's state-run churches, who is on the wall? Whose picture is on the wall? It's not Jesus, it's Xi's. And what's that book circulating? <laughs> you know, his thoughts. So it's a farce, obviously, and it's a comical farce for a dictator to do this. It's actually comical, and I don't think he gets the joke. But as for the ones who want to practice their faith without the party's influence, 
King says, I think the, the most fervent Christians, they migrate to the underground church. They migrate to the unregistered churches, and that's where the real fervency is. And that's where they'll pay the price, but they're willing to do it because this great desire to be with God and to tell others what they found. They find the answer to life, and they're like, we cannot keep this secret to ourselves. We must tell others. Many of those who turn to underground churches face the risk of imprisonment and even torture. King recalls his time speaking with pastors who had been imprisoned for over a decade in China and how what they said stood out to him. They said, persecution is a gift. It's one we would never wish on anybody, but it keeps us pure and it keeps us clean to God. And I said, what would the Chinese church be without persecution? And they said, you would see a church without any real power. Their people, uh, their speakers would be running around. They'd be famous and run from church to church, but they wouldn't have any power from God. They wouldn't really know him. There'd be no anointing. King explained the persecution often had the opposite of its intended effect on these pastors. With persecution comes a great desire for God, a great clinging to God, and that gives them great power. So of all the churches I visit in the world, there's two countries that are my favorites, and it's Cuba and China, both run by Marxist state, states, both horribly persecuted. But all that persecution did was to create something so pure and powerful that it spreads like wildfire. Nadine Mayenza, former chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, says China has topped the list when it comes to going after people of faith. Well, certainly China um, was one that, um, gosh, the violence took our breath away. The, the oppression, how little attention it was getting when we first came on at USURF. And um, so certainly that would be uh, right on top. Christians aren't the only persecuted group. Adherents of the spiritual discipline Falun Gong have also been targeted. Falun Gong grew to popularity in the early 1990s, with over 100 million people following the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance, even several Chinese Communist Party members. But because the number of people practicing became larger than the number of Communist Party members, the regime launched an overnight campaign to completely eradicate the practice. So I was particularly interested in how people did that, uh, what drove them, how people got through torture. Uh, I'm the kind of person who would last for about 20 seconds in torture. Uh, these are people who lasted, you know, two years. Uh, so I want to... Uh, I was very interested in the individual stories. Ethan Gutman is the author of The Slaughter, Mass Killings, Organ Harvesting, and China's Secret Solution to Its Dissident Problem. But it's not just being unable to practice their faith. In China, persecution has become a lucrative business. What I was really interested in was what did people do? How did this play out? And I think from that perspective, in a sense, it ends with organ harvesting. As for the difficulties of researching organ harvesting. It's impossible to research. Just start there. I mean, literally, the people are dead who've been harvested, so that's another question. Uh, it is done in secret. Uh, you know, so you basically had to use clues. And you had to go to people who'd seen people uh, being taken away and... Uh, seen disappearances following blood testing and so forth, that kind of thing. And to this day, you still have to use those techniques. Another challenge lies in finding people willing to come forward. Only a couple of doctors have come out uh, and said that they were actually involved in this. One of them was Dr. Enver Totti, uh, 
uh, from Urumqi, is uh, a Uyghur, and he admitted that he performed an operation on a living human being who had been shot on this side of the chest. I was in shock, and he took out the liver and two kidneys. He adds that now the practice of organ harvesting includes the Uyghurs in Xinjiang as well. The thing is, I was able to interview these people and get a sense of the numbers who are being harvested, and it's very similar to Falun Gong. It's about 25 to 50,000 Uyghurs are being harvested per year. This is very close. Uh, it's exactly what you'd expect for a transplant system, which is, mm, you know, transplanting about 60,000 to 100,000 organs per year. On top of witness testimony, another area that helps shed light on the topic is... What I call the Aksu compound, uh, space where you have a hospital and you actually have a labor camp built around the hospital. And then less than a kilometer away, you have another labor camp and a crematorium. And then 20 minute drive away, you have a, uh, an airport with a green lane. That is a dedicated lane for human organ transplants. But given the difficulties uncovering organ harvesting, Gutman adds... We're not going to have this handed to us on a platter. There is no final solution document out there, as far as I can tell. I doubt it's going to surface. And so this is going to be... My feeling is this is going to be caught in kind of a twilight zone for a while. Having said that, um, Matthew Robertson... Uh, and Jacob Levy of Israel have come out with some very interesting studies over the last uh, two years. Uh, recently, they were able to basically prove that uh, live organ harvesting was routine, at least till 2015, in the Chinese environment uh, by uh, word searches of, of Chinese medical documents. As for how the communist regime is able to get away with it, King compares Marxist societies to the actions of a mafia. What does a mafia do? It rules by power. It's all about money, greed, power, violence, and they control the community or the state around them by those means, by bribes, by power, by threats, intimidation, killing, um, and all for their little club. For their tiny little club, they are a parasite on society. But he goes on to point out something else, that in a way, the regime has taken on godlike qualities of its own. The strange thing with a Marxist regime is that as much as they say there is no God, they set themselves up as a God. Now, I think on the one hand, it's very clear that they will co-opt uh, uh, theology. They will co-opt religious, the religious impulse in human beings. And so they set themselves up as a God. But at the same time, there's something more than that where I think they really believe it. There it's like, we are the thing to be worshiped and they can't tolerate another thing being worshiped. There's something spiritual going on. Referring to Xi Jinping, the current head of the Chinese regime, King says. Right now, Xi is just the worst uh, actor, the enemy of democracy around the world, but he's not paying the price. And through bribes and trickery and oppression, he's getting away with murder, literally and figuratively. Um, but I think more people need, need to take a moral stand. Given all the areas and people impacted, what can be done? Me as a believer, I would say first of all to pray, and that's not an that's not an end answer, but it's a starting thing to be concerned. And the other thing is that you've got to stay informed. 
So, you know, we always say, come to persecution.org. We'll show you what's going on with persecution around the world. So until you're aware, you don't know how to fight, you don't know what to do, and you're not awake. Mayenza points to the value of learning from the past. First of all, I think it's important that we look back and learn from our mistakes because, you know, USERF had 27 countries it covered in the last report. Only four of them saw tiny improvements. So we're moving in the wrong direction. Almost every 11 countries deteriorated. Um, uh, 12 countries stayed the same, but it was like stayed among the worst in the world. So it wasn't like a good thing they stayed the same. And so we're at a point where we got to look back and see what went wrong. Since 1999, the U.S. State Department has designated China a CPC, a country of particular concern. When you look at China, we, we you know, they had this CPC status um, with, the, with the U.S. government, but yet... Religious freedom was never brought up in so many important discussions about trade, about business, about economy. You know, we gave them the opportunity to become a rich country, um, gave them favored trade status, all sorts of things, not at time anything to human rights or religious freedom. So here we are. They have all this power now. We had more of the power. We didn't use it. Offering a different suggestion, Ambassador Brownback says. The way to stop it is guaranteeing religious freedom for everybody. You want to be a Muslim? Great. You can be a peaceful Muslim. You want to be a Christian? Great. Be a peaceful Christian and we have no problem with that. And the government protects that right. But if you let one group pursue and persecute another and you don't bring people to justice, then you're going to get retaliation and you're going to get an escalation of the war. As for holding regimes accountable, Gutman says it's important to recognize the Chinese regime isn't capable of reform. It's not going to reform, and it's a, it's um, a fool's errand to keep waiting around for it or assume they just need a little explanation or teaching by uh, American transplant surgeons or the Vatican or something like that. This is not going to work. Uh, the sooner we make the point that we simply can't have contact with, uh, there is no negotiation on, with these people, uh, people responsible for uh, population policies, people responsible for uh, transplants or organ harvesting. The more we fence that off and continue to fence off different areas with uh, China, the, the better off we'll be. Uh, we, we have to resist the temptation, the rescue temptation. We can't do it. Ambassador Brownback says economic sanctions are one way to hold the regime accountable or to hit them where it hurts. There has to be some pain to the Chinese on what they're doing. And thankfully, these forced labor acts, the Xinjiang Forced Labor Act that the Congress just passed, has some economic teeth to it. That started to, to have some real bite on the Chinese economy and the Chinese government. He highlights that this is a bigger issue than any one person or any one group. I think too often you look at it and say, okay, this is for religious people. If religious people support me, then I'll support them and do it. When This is a much bigger picture. This is about the clash of civilizations. As for the importance of recognizing and celebrating different faiths, Ambassador Brownback says... This is the route forward for us to integrate as a world. It may seem odd to some people, uh, but you, you, you move through the heart. The heart moves the brain. The brain rations, uh, rationalizes, reasons through things, but people are moved through the heart, and faith goes through the heart. King adds, that's the power of faith. 
and why atheistic regimes are so fearful of those who believe. The urge for God, the urge for freedom, these things are, are unstoppable forces. So they can hold on for a time, but in the end, those, uh, you know, that which can't sustain itself will not be sustained. It'll break. The system will break. It's so unnatural. Whether it's the Christians, the Uyghurs, the Falun Gong, or others, experts note there's a war on faith in communist regimes. But it's not as simple as simply abandoning faith, because even those who don't want to believe are made to believe in the strength of the party. And beyond that, if regimes aren't held accountable, those same human rights that are seen as a fundamental by democratic nations could erode away here at home. Coming up, we zoom in on today's news. Intelligence heads from the U.S. and U.K. appear together for the first time. In a joint statement, they zeroed in on communist China and noted how it's been boosting ties with Afghanistan. The Middle Eastern country is now under Taliban rule and at the same time is rich in mineral resources. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Directors from the FBI and UK security agency MI5 stood together Wednesday, both calling to counter Beijing. They call the Chinese communist regime the biggest long-term threat to both the US and the UK and accused China of using Western systems for its own gain. Here's a closer look. In an unprecedented joint appearance, MI5 Director Ken McCallum and FBI Chief Christopher Wray warned of the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party to an audience of business leaders and academic chiefs. The most game-changing challenge we face comes from the Chinese Communist Party. It's covertly applying pressure across the globe. This might feel abstract, but it's real and it's pressing. We need to talk about it. We need to act. At MI5's Thames House headquarters in London, the Director General of the UK Security Service said the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party pervades many aspects of the UK's national life. MI5 has already more than doubled our previously constrained effort against Chinese activity of concern. Today we're running seven times as many investigations as we were in 2018. We plan to grow as much again while also maintaining significant effort against Russian and Iranian covert threats. McCallum said over the last year, the UK has shared intelligence about Chinese cyber threats with 37 countries and disrupted a sophisticated threat against aerospace companies in May. Ray said the US consistently sees that the Chinese government poses the biggest long-term threat to the economic and national security of the US and its allies. But the point I want to leave you with today is that the Chinese government poses an even more serious threat to Western businesses than even many sophisticated business people realize. The Chinese government is set on stealing your technology, whatever it is that makes your industry tick and using it to undercut your business and dominate your market. And they're set on using every tool at their disposal to do it. The director of the FBI warned that businesses should not be complacent when dealing with the threats from China. But the danger China poses to companies isn't just complex, it's getting worse. 
that hackers in China are carrying their company's innovation off. The Chinese companies or proxies are using quasi-legal investments to undermine their economies too. McCollum cited some examples of Chinese interference. Engineering firm Smith's Harlow entered into a deal with a Chinese company, but once it shared vital technology, the Chinese company abandoned the deal, forcing it into administration in 2020. He also pointed to the security alert issued to Parliament earlier this year over Christine Lee, a solicitor and suspected Chinese spy accused of targeting MPs. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. A Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson later responded to a question about the comments made by McCallum and Ray. In his remarks, he called the U.S., quote, the biggest threat to world peace and development, and went on to say the British, quote, published alarmist reports out of nothing. In his words, that was to play up the China threat theory. He also said China urges both countries to, quote, stop spreading rumors. China is strengthening its trade relationship with Afghanistan. The country is controlled by the Taliban, an organization labeled as terrorist by the United Nations. China's ambassador touted trade and investment plans for Afghanistan earlier this week. He also announced $8 million in aid for relief from an earthquake in June, which killed more than 1,000 people. He added that China has long-term economic reconstruction plans with Afghanistan. No country has formally recognized the Taliban after it seized power last year. It happened after the United States and its allies abruptly withdrew troops following 20 years of war. Western countries have imposed sanctions on Afghanistan, including freezing billions of dollars in reserves. These sanctions can only be lifted when the militant regime meets certain conditions, like lifting restrictions on participation in public life for women and girls. China has repeatedly called for sanctions to be lifted. China shares a remote border with Afghanistan and derives influence in the region from its Belt and Road Investment Initiative. The Chinese ambassador said negotiations with Afghanistan were going on for two major mining projects, including a copper mine known as Maysinac. A Chinese state-owned company already has rights to mine there. Worth noting, Afghanistan's largely untapped mineral reserves include large deposits of iron ore and copper. The estimated value of the mineral resources in the country tops $1 trillion. The Pentagon is investing tens of millions of dollars into high-altitude balloons that it intends to use for surveillance. They could someday be used to locate and track China's hypersonic weapons. Hypersonic missiles are capable of evading conventional American defense systems and boast a long enough range that they could hit the mainland U.S. These missiles could also carry nuclear warheads. Back to the balloons, the altitude ceiling for commercial aircraft is around 43,000 feet, while the high-tech U.S. Reaper drones soar at around 50,000 feet. But a report from Politico says the spy balloons are anticipated to reach as high as 90,000 feet. The report says the technology is shifting from the Defense Department's scientific community to military service and that the Pentagon is ratcheting up funding on the project for 2023, boosting it up to over $27 million. 
That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on our show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching, and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan on August 28th. The finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 18847792289228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.